Would you stand and listen as we read from Holy Scripture this morning, Zechariah chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of their great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Have you ever been surprised by grief? Have you ever had one of those experiences? Maybe you lost a job or a beloved pet or maybe an important person in your life. And you grieved initially and worked your way through that grief. But then a few weeks or maybe months or sometimes even a few years, all of a sudden this wave of grief comes back and flows over you and knocks you down. And you wonder, where did that come from? How did that happen? What is going on here? Wayne Gordon is the co-author of the book that's inspired this series this month, along with John Perkins. The book is Do All Lives Matter? Wayne tells of a time when he was surprised by grief. He was preaching on this very text he said everything was going fine everything was going along as normal he got to a point in the sermon where he was talking about the violence and the carnage in his own neighborhood because there had already been 10 murders in the first quarter of that year in the part of Chicago where he lives and he says as he was trying to describe that he began to get choked up began to weep And then he said, next thing he knows, he was weeping uncontrollably. So much so that he wasn't sure he was going to get through it, but he got to the end of the service, and then his wife came to him concerned, asking him if he was all right. And he said, oh yeah, I don't know what happened, but I'm I'm fine. I'll be fine in the second service. He had another service to preach. He said he started that service, everything was fine. He started the sermon, it was fine. And then he got to the point where he was talking about all the death and the violence. And it happened again. The grief just overwhelmed him. And he began to weep uncontrollably. Then he says the very next day, A young man whom he had coached on the football field years before was shot to death, shot eight times at point-blank range by a Chicago police officer. He said he drove over to the scene, and again the tears began to pour down his face. And then he writes this in the book. For the next six months... Hardly a day went by that I didn't cry. He said it became so persistent that he and his wife began to discuss if he could even stay in ministry. But then upon further reflection, he writes, or perhaps what was happening to me was good. Perhaps it was necessary. Perhaps what had not been normal for me needed to become a sort of new 
normal given the circumstances maybe crying ought to be interpreted as a sign of truly understanding and entering the pain of others a dynamic that can fuel compassion and lead to action on behalf of those who are having trouble believing that their lives matter. Time Magazine last year had an article, a lengthy article, discussing how we can get along better living in a time as polarized as ours. From research, they gave several suggestions about what we might do personally to build better relationships. One of the things they said was that we would do better in our relationships if we were able to see a fuller picture of people we disagree with. They said that one thing that happens is that so often we hear one thing about another person, maybe who they voted for or their particular opinion on a certain hot topic, and we decided that's all that they are, that we see them as one-dimensional in a sense, and we write them off. But the authors write, we know ourselves to be complicated and torn, subject to all sorts of internal doubts, but we deny others the same complexity. We imagine them to have a single story, but it's normal to have complicated feelings. What often lurks beneath opinions is pain, stress, confusion, anxiety, especially in moments of profound change in every area of American life. Dramatic shifts have occurred over the last generation in technology, in trade, race and demographics, gender and sexuality, the economy and more have left Americans unsure of who they will be and how they will fit on the far side of change. I hear it as a call for greater empathy and compassion, a call to go deeper even with those with whom we may disagree on one thing or another and to be willing as Christians to even bear and experience the suffering and pain of another who we may think is so different from us. The article didn't put any of this in Christian or religious language, but I couldn't help but begin to think about our faith and how it calls us to similar things, how Jesus in his life embodies this deep care, this sense and ability to sympathize or to empathize with another, even those who are different from him, and particularly those who are living on the margins of society. In his day, it was women, lepers, foreigners and immigrants, sinners of all kinds, people who are hungry or lonely or naked or afraid, people in need of food or drink. Jesus embodies compassion for them all. 
even those who put him to death. As one author put it, Jesus teaches that mercy is offered not because of who the recipients are or even who we are. Jesus offers mercy because of who God is. Jesus never relinquished the mission of revealing the love of God to all of us. He offered mercy no matter what. Do you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you want to follow in these kinds of footsteps of Jesus? If so, we must build our capacity to empathize and carry some of the pain and suffering of others. One of the ways we do that is to not look away from pain and suffering. One of the ways we can do that is heed the losses we've all experienced because of slavery and racism, of discrimination and of violence. Pulitzer Prize winner and renowned professor Isabel Wilkerson in her book Cass writes about the losses we have experienced because of racism through the ages. She writes, the species has suffered incomprehensible loss over the false divisions of caste, which she uses as the word to describe the depth of racism. She enumerates the 11 million people killed by the Nazis. The three quarters of a million Americans killed during the Civil War over the right to enslave other human beings. The slow living death of unfulfilled gifts of millions more living on plantations in India and the American South. Whatever creativity or brilliance they had has been lost for all time. Then she wonders, where would we be as a species had the millions of targets of these systems been permitted to live out their dreams or to live at all. It's important for us to see the suffering of our fellow human beings, to heed the losses that have been a part of our human history, but we must not stop there. We must not get caught up only in the pain and the suffering. We must also allow our empathy tears and suffering to move us to action and we can do so as religious people through prayer prayer is such an important part of the religious life of the christian pilgrimage i gave you the saint francis prayer ribbon a few weeks ago to invite you into a deeper experience of prayer because it's such a profound prayer rather than asking things that God might do for us or for God to fix things, it is a prayer asking for God to reshape us, to make us an instrument in God's hand, to make us an instrument of peace, and to not so much seek 
for things to come for us, but that we might be for God what God needs in the world. It's a profound experience of opening ourselves to God's leading through prayer. But of course, we can also continue to learn through listening, as we discussed earlier in the month, listening to others' stories who are different from ours. And we can also, of course, learn through reading and studying on our own and in groups. Today, as I've done every week, I'm going to extend you an invitation, an idea, something you might do in your life to go deeper into this healing experience as we think about suffering I'm going to invite you to consider how you might volunteer in a place, a place that contributes to building your capacity to learn, but also which helps alleviate pain and suffering that gives you an opportunity to help carry the burdens of another, to volunteer in a place that is committed to improving lives, to making lives better for others. Let me just give you a few quick examples before we close. I've already mentioned to you this morning our Smiles of Faith ministry. People will be coming in pain. There will be a dentist there to help them, but before they ever get to the dentist at each one of our churches, they will come into the building to do their intake paperwork, and we'll have volunteers there to greet them, to talk with them, offer them refreshment, find out where they are on their spiritual journey, find out if they need spiritual help as well, if they're looking for a church home, getting them connected with one of our churches that will care about them. You could volunteer in that kind of setting. Or our Sistema after-school music program uses volunteers. We've been doing this now for some seven years. Kids come every day after school. We use volunteers to greet the children and their families to serve snacks to help with recreation help with homework assist the teachers they'll be gearing up for classes again in September that'd be another option another place to volunteer many of our people have found it so very meaningful to volunteer at our sister church in Greenwood at Vernon AME Church and their God provides food ministry I just had one person this morning telling telling me it's been a life-changing experience for her to be a part of that ministry and to get to know people at Vernon and to be able to have the opportunity to serve alongside of them. All of these are multi-ethnic or cross-racial kinds of experiences, but I know many of you are already volunteering at Restore Hope or maybe as an election worker, maybe at a library or a hospital. All of these nonprofits working in our city to improve the quality of life for those who have been underserved or unheard. So we have this motivation as Christians to serve others, which is fabulous, but I'm asking you that when you do so, to think about what it's doing to you spiritually, what it's doing to you internally. Is it building your capacity to empathize and to extend mercy and compassion and love to others. Maybe even it's not too much to say, have you thought about it as being the voice of God's love alive in the world? Or maybe 
in those experiences. It puts you in a place where you can hear God's voice for yourself through others. Our text today is the vision of a better, kinder, safer world Says the Lord, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets. That means in a place of safety. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. It's a vision of safety, of kindness, of support, of a healthy community, a healthy city for people to live in. Jesus says... That his mission needs more laborers in the field. What if we would take up that call? What if we heard that call as a personal call to be a laborer in the field along with God as a follower of Jesus Christ? What if we saw ourselves as laborers of love, as harbingers of hope as crusaders for greater community in our city. I think it would make our country and our state and our city and our neighborhoods closer to the vision that Zechariah speaks on behalf of God. What if each of us felt that kind of call and responded as a follower of Jesus Christ? I think then Christ's love could prevail in our time. May it be so. Amen and thanks be to God.